0: good evening ladies and gentlemen we've made it to episode two of the podcast and so have you so thank you for joining us well i say episode two it's more like episode two and a half because me and this week's guest did record this podcast earlier a full 50 minutes in fact and it was pretty great and then everything crashed we lost the entire session and we've had to start again so whilst we're mildly disheartened we have gone through the effort of re-recording it and hopefully it'll be just as good as this morning's run i'd like to thank you again so much for joining us and tell you that this week we are talking about space that big old expanse in the sky and with me is the person i know who is the closest out of anyone i know to having actually been to space not really, but that's the technicality we're going for so that I can make the title of this something like astronaut related, but I'd like to introduce her. Give me a warm welcome from the silence of your own podcast listening for this week's guest, Miss Loena Hull.
1: Hi. Hello. Um, (laughs) Yeah I'm a pretty distant link but you know close enough.
0: You've had something that has gone to space which we will explain in a bit and that I think is close enough for us to market you as being close to going to space you know swings and roundabouts. So do you (laughs) want to tell the sort of anyone listening a bit about yourself introduce yourself give us a bit of context as to who you are.
1: Yeah, um, I'm a Fisnatsky or Physical Natural Sciences uh, student at Cambridge, so uh, that's where I met Elliot. We're good friends there. Um, Yeah, so kind of first year university student living out during the Rona year. Uh, Been a bit of a wild ride, but you know, it (laughs) It is how it is.
0: (laughs) But you seem to be managing pretty well. You're at college at the moment, I do believe.
1: Yeah, um, it's pretty empty here, so I think college is about 40% capacity, so you'll walk around and you just won't see anyone. Uh, bit of a ghost town.
0: Meanwhile, I'm working from home and I don't even have a desk, so I've been working in my bed. It's all great.
1: <laughs> it was like that when you were in college. <laughs> Shh,
0: don't let anyone know. <laughs> They're not meant to know that part. But yeah, um it's lovely to have you on thank you for joining me for the second time today i know it's been a bit of a technical nightmare and we're going to definitely make sure to keep saving throughout this recording just in case worst comes to worst again so space we've had this week We've had uh, applications have been opened for the European Space Agency to become an astronaut. We had the landing of the rover last week or the week before. So space is very much in the news. And I thought it'd be nice to get you on, not only because, as you've said, we're close in college, but because you do have a link to space. And I thought, who better to talk about than the girl whose MP3 player went to the International Space Station? I know. What a headline. Do you want to tell people a bit about that and a bit about what I mean?
1: Um, Yeah, so when I was about 13, there was a national competition. It was called the Astro Pi Competition. And what this did is it challenged students from across the UK to program an MP3 player. And then uh, winning MP3 players would be run on the International Space Station for astronaut Tim Peake to sort of have a play around with, listen to some jams. Uh, yeah, and that was, um, so I won my age category with that. Uh, what I did is I created a gyroscopic MP3 player. So what this means is if you tilt it in one direction, it will say decrease the volume, or if you tilt it in another, it will skip forward a track or skip back a track or fast forward or rewind. So it was sort of an interactive MP3 player. You could move it about. It made it a bit more fun than just say pressing buttons. So yeah, um, I won my age category for that. and. I was pretty chuffed when it ran on the space station. <laughs> it's well, a no pretty cool that. thing to say.
0: I mean, having something up out there in the space is a pretty good way to introduce yourself to anyone. Let alone to then have the fact that you've gone on to Cambridge University a number of years later as well up there. It's it's quite quite an accolade, and I think we've got to give you props for it. But so you said about this gyroscopic thing. Can you tell us a bit about what the limitations were for? creating an mp3 player for space what makes it different to just having my ipod shuffle back on earth in 2012.
1: <laughs> we love the ipod shuffle i think i at the time i had an ipod nano it was the Very small nice. one um when i first got it i thought i was the coolest kid on the block <laughs> um well so um the mp3 is created using a raspberry pi which is sort of a small it's about credit card size computer a lot of hobbyists use them you can use them for a lot of projects and an additional piece of hardware called a sense hat and <laughs> given by the name unsurprisingly it has a lot of sensors <gasps> so it has one for i know shocking it has ones for temperature humidity pressure uh, it also has this cool led matrix which you can use to show up like eight by eight graphics. So really like high resolution. Um, Yeah, and it also has a gyroscope and accelerometer. Uh, These were the two things I was pretty focused on. And um, you know, I was 13, (laughs) let's not be too hard on me. I went to Google and I was like, okay, will accelerometer work in space? And it said, no, because uh, the ISS is in free fall. So instead of measuring changes as you move it about, it's just gonna constantly measure the free fall of the ISS. So um, I was like, okay, no accelerometer. We're gonna use the gyroscope. <laughs> like all good science, it was, this isn't gonna work. Let's use this instead. <laughs> so yeah, that's how I narrowed it down to using the gyroscope. So uh, there are things you have to take into con- consideration when you're modifying something that may have worked on earth. So. The accelerometer, and you have to say, is this going to work in this new set of conditions that I've got?
0: It's it's fascinating to think about the constraints of anything going in space. There's this YouTuber Smarter Every Day who did a video about, I believe it was the shutters on one of the shuttles or on the International Space Station for things like protecting the glass from debris, etc., and talking about the limitations of the fact that obviously on Earth it's just you pull the blind shut or you pull it open. Whereas in the International Space Station, you've got these big metal shutters on the outside of the window and you need some way to close and open them. And you can't just have some kind of drive shaft through because otherwise when you move it, there'll be gaps created, which will depressurize the inside of the ship, which as far as I'm aware, isn't exactly the ideal condition for the human body to survive in but it's fascinating that you've had to have those constraints on even the smallest level just on a gyroscope and on an mp3 player and it's fascinating to think about then with the rover landing just how much thought and time and prep needed to go into something like that i mean the thing that fascinates me most i think about that is the sky crane that they use to lower it down which it turns out is actually the backup sky crane they had for the curiosity rover but they've reused it and added to it for perseverance but i think it's fascinating the fact that you you engineer this insane piece of technology that goes to another planet that survives a shuttle ride that lowers a rover to the surface of mars this million multi-million dollar probably piece (laughs) of technology and then when it's done And it's done its purpose it just jets itself off to the other side of the planet and crashes (laughs) it it (laughs) quietly
1: removes itself yeah you can just imagine all the people who worked on it who, who spent hours slaving away at this uh doing overtime and they just see it and i mean this was its intended purpose but still they just see it just crash there's and something just, sad just like a, a little a little tear escapes <laughs> yeah. all i yeah, can picture um, is the the <laughs> the
0: the, the, bu- the butter the butter robot from rick and morty that's whole purpose oh, yeah. is to pass the butter and then it has an existential crisis and all i can what think about I? is the sad day that the next sky crane gets sentience and realizes its purpose <laughs>
1: It's sort of—it's sort of like one of those sci-fi films, and the truth is revealed. It accidentally sees something it shouldn't have, and it's like a recording of the old sky crane crashing. It's like, what is my purpose, Mama? <laughs> <laughs> Why would you design me just to crash? <laughs> that.
0: <laughs> my life is solely designed to end.
1: <laughs> Quick, patent the idea. Write an award-winning film. <laughs> <laughs>
0: the the little sky crane that couldn't.
1: i guess so okay tell us a
0: bit about um obviously you've got this link to space now with the mp3 player and i know for a fact that you do a lot of stuff with science additionally nowadays even uh, that you're an ambassador for science of some kind and that you do lots of talks and you used to have a blog and you you sort of very much represent the idea of pursuing your passions outside of just academics so can you tell us a bit about that and sort of how the mp3 player thing fed into it or how it's giving you hindsight on that and really where you're wanting to go with science and space and all those kinds of things
1: so the mp3 player was sort of the start of the journey At at that point i had an interest in programming it was something you know when you start off in school you do scratch you do html and css you create your website um but i'd never really done any sort of proper programming per se um and it was a really good project to sort of bring me into that and it really introduced me to the technology programming sort of community and from that i've gone on to do volunteering at raspberry jams which um like i said earlier they're just uh Events where people who create stuff with the Raspberry Pi, that small credit card size computer, they can share their projects, and so I started um, like helping to run them, uh, teaching workshops at that. Um, uh, yeah, I'm planning on to so. Um, Anyone who's done a bit of programming before will know about hackathons. Um, So I've done longer two-week ones, but there's also very stressful 48-hour ones um, where sleeping is just a waste of time. Um, Yeah, so I sort of went on to go do stuff like that. Um, And I think it's been quite interesting, I think, when you look back and see the path uh, that you've taken. Yeah, um, so about ambassador kind of stuff, uh, like I said, I volunteer a lot, and I think a lot of opportunities come from that. Um, For example, over the summer holidays, I started volunteering with a group called the Essex d which is online meetings for girls who are interested to learn a bit more about programming and technology. And from that, I was nominated for uh, the Open UK Young Person of the Year. And... It was actually from that, which I've got now got this internship working with Open UK, which is all about creating a, um, uh, a course, a programming course using the BBC microbit, um, which is going to be delivered to school kids, um, approximately 3,000 is what we're <laughs> aiming, um, and this is going to be delivered to uh, school kids across the UK in about May, June-ish this year. So yeah, there's a lot of, uh, lot of perks to being doing ambassador and being quite um, visual in um, uh, tech and uh, STEM. Um, I think that's a lot what my blog was aiming to do. It was aiming to share my personal experience. So I'll do something and then I'll write a blog post about it so other people know, so this is how I can get involved. It's, it's not as daunting, it's not as, as frightening. Um, So I think that's a large motivation for my blog and for being quite uh, outspoken about the stuff which I've done. Um, Yeah, so being an ambassador is pretty cool.
0: Young person of the year, you say? That's quite an accolade to have, if anything. Tell us a bit about that.
1: Yeah, um, so it was one of those awards where I was nominated uh, for my work on uh, the SXD Mets and to help sort of uh (laughs) it sounds um odd to me to say this but inspiring girls in the community to take up programming to get themselves more involved in technology um and i think it was a really good award because i attended the awards session and i really got to see uh all the people nominated for the other categories and as well as the other nominees for young person which were some very amazing very talented young people um i i am not surprised i was only a uh, finalist the true winner was absolutely amazing uh but yeah um i think it was a really good initiative that i was working with um and yeah like i said i've gone on to then do an internship with the company uh which is all about getting people across the uk getting students who are looking to get a bit more involved in tech but might not have the resources and it's about getting them involved in project work uh, by creating this uh, fun uh, about 10 lesson-ish program for them to get involved with.
0: So outreach is clearly very important to you and sort of giving people access to science as a hobby clearly not just as a career but clearly the two sort of do feed into each other you know with with a subject like mine linguistics which is obviously a science and I'll take no of Of course, on. of course. But I <laughs> hobby-wise you know I do a lot of poetry and sort of lyric writing of songs and stuff but there's less of a link between that and a future career in linguistics whereas you've got programming and science skills that are clearly feeding into your degree sort of directly as well is that Mm. so it's obviously a hobby and something you're interested in is that something you want to take forwards then career-wise is there any sort of specific fields that you want to enter when all of this time at Cambridge is done?
1: so i've always really been excited about partnering um science with technology uh using kind of seeing what kind of data we can get from say science experiments and then processing them using uh say artificial intelligence or neural networks or machine learning so i've also i've got the space kind of element but i've also have a really strong passion in sort of artificial intelligence and all of that um And I think these are things which you can have alongside um, your degree. And I think having hobbies and external interests, like your poetry, will always make you a better, more well rounded character. But they do feed in quite well. And I think my ideal job is going to be something which takes in elements of that programming and science. Um, Because I think it'd be a shame sort of to leave one to the side just to rust. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So. The good thing about STEM kind of careers is you're always going to utilize probably my favorite skill, which is problem solving. So they're quite good in the way that no matter what field you enter, you're always going to be yeah, utilizing the skills which you enjoy, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah.
0: So, so tell us a bit of, then, you, you touched sort of for a moment there upon like keeping your hobbies going and stuff and having time to do those things and not leaving them by the wayside but obviously seeing as you're studying at Cambridge which in and of itself is another accolade the fact you've got this roadmap from 13 years old with an mp3 player on the space station to studying at and for our sakes I'm going to say the best university in the world the rankings are always the rankings are always a bit all over the place but Obviously, it's got to be difficult being able to maintain your passions and your sort of your obligations to things like you said this, uh, this internship, as well as managing your studies around it. What's that like? Because that can't be easy.
1: Yeah, it is always a bit of a juggling act um, when they first asked me. So they it was probably <laughs> I was quite lucky in this aspect. Normally you're chasing after internships. you against like 20, 50 uh, really qualified applicants. For this one, I was quite lucky. They'd seen um, like an entry video I'd done for the Young Star Award. And they'd come to talk to me by saying we've well, see so you got a passion in getting kids into tech. So would you like to come on board? So I was quite lucky in that aspect. Um, But yeah, so they asked me, they were like, do you have time to balance this alongside schoolwork or university work? (laughs) Still got the mindset of A-levels since it all felt a bit rushed, you know, with the virus and all. Um, And I sort of looked at it and I thought, "Mm," realistically, I know my director of studies would say, say no, However, (laughs) however, I mean, I sort of took the approach that if I, work a bit longer in the evenings if I just get a bit better at time management here I can fit this in and I think that's what every Cambridge student has to deal with Um, especially if you're taking up quite a time intensive say extracurricular like maybe if you decide to do rowing um, our university's beloved sport heck yeah Uh, (laughs) novice bow novice bow oh a true pro (laughs) if only Justin Krong (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I think it's it's all about time management, but you do have a lot less time. Um, I do find that sometimes to fit everything in, you do have to work quite late. Um, The other day I had um, an interview for an internship and it took six and a half hours. And what this meant is I had to take all my work, which was due and then put it immediately after. So I went straight from interview into working. so, yeah, it, it can be a bit tricky at times, but I think what this university does, and I think most universities will push you to do this, is get really good at time management. <laughs> Always helpful.
0: Of course. Uh, for those who don't know, this is just sort of a editor's note per se. Uh, Justin Cronk is one of our friends, my flatmate, uh, who's very known for his love of rowing and the fact that we mock him for it because he's got the singlets, he's, he's our college's first team rowing. In fact, he
1: only wears rowing gear around college.
0: Yes, we're, we're, we're ho- hopefully we'll get him on an episode in the future, but that's just, that's thats what that reference was. So obviously, as you say, having to make that decision to take on both at once is, very, is a very time intensive thing but it seems like you're at least enjoying it and at least it's something you're interested in. But obviously it's gotta be, sometimes it's gotta be a struggle, especially if you're having to sort of choose a priority almost.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, it is all about knowing exactly when your things are due. I always hate having to choose priorities. Uh, I think you could probably tell that by choice of uh, degree. Um, cause when I was looking at degree courses, they said, you've got to choose, you've got to choose say maths or you've got to choose physics or chemistry. And I said, no, 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 I'll choose Natsuki and I'll get to do all of them. <laughs> um, so Natsuki is like four courses rolled into one, which is great if you're indecisive like me, cause it means you can keep all your options open. Um, but yeah I really hate having to choose y- you can only do this um, one outside of work um, commitment so yeah I try and juggle as much as I can but
0: <laughs> so in terms of sort of as you say sort of have, you you weren't sure what you wanted to go with it seems like you've got an interest in science for the future but you're not quite sure I think that's the perfect segue to one of our other sort of talking points about this the european space Agency's astronaut applications essentially because who doesn't want to be an astronaut what kid hasn't had the dream of being in those big suits and going off into space but it, it seems we, we were looking at it earlier and it's quite a there's quite a stringent set of uh, like things you have to meet in order to become an astronaut
1: yeah, they've got, they've got some uh, physical requirements, but they also have a couple of a uh, bit more academic, I suppose, because, I mean, when you're up there, there is no AA you can call to come fix stuff. Um, if something goes wrong, it really is sort of up to you to fix it. So um, if something happens with the uh, station or uh, there's a medical issue, you're kind of hoping the people up there know how to fix it. So yeah, they have a couple of them. Uh, requirements on that aspect. They also have because I mean, like every like you say, every child wants to be an astronaut. Um, it's one of the main things they teach you, I guess, in primary school. For me, at least, they taught you dinosaurs, they taught you Egypt, and they taught you space. <laughs> they they didn't think we could handle anything else. Yeah, no, here um, here, here <laughs> I was
0: with my dream career of becoming a pharaoh, born in the wrong <laughs> century, I tell you.
1: Oh, it was amazing. I think I think Egypt was excellent they made us build a little pyramid once and they made us make little models of things we'd put in our own pyramid out of plasticine and I put a computer (laughs) because that is what you'd have in ancient Egypt of course yeah, they they really they really taught us well. Your pyramid um,
0: your pyramid was actually a giant gyroscope for an MP three.
1: <laughs> My pyramid was absolutely banging. This is where you have your sesh. <laughs> um, yeah, so I actually I did look up the height requirements and luckily I do make it. Um, I'm quite short, I'm only five foot three, but I do make it. Um, there's actually a upper height limit, so if you're too tall, you won't. But yeah, so they have that and I think they also have some restrictions so you've got to have pretty good eyesight as well It is, it's a
0: much sciencier job than I think anyone really realises when they're younger. And it's only as you grow up that you realise, wow, these people are like researchers, engineers, soldiers, like everything in one pretty much. It's, yeah, it's insane I to Yeah, I thought they were about. just
1: there to say cool things, like <laughs> <laughs> one giant step. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, it's interesting yeah. as well, the fact that with these applications, the fact that because you're going off into this, international space station and the fact that a lot of people are pointing out that the European Space Agency are but we're not part of the EU why 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 are they opening applications up to the UK and it's odd to think that there's because of the fact that it's international by virtue of the fact that it's away from any nation and it's in space the fact that space is a political frontier and it has been you know, obviously, there's collaboration on the International Space Station at the moment. But whichever country gets a man on the on Mars first is going to be in a pretty good spot. And you look at things like the space race and just how tense international relations were. It's so odd to think that this dream career is actually very politically muddied, if you think about it.
1: Mm, I would, I would probably go as far to say colonizing Mars is the space race of our time. Um, And it'll be interesting to see which country gets there first. Um, Personally, not to be unpatriotic, my bets are on America. Um, NASA's got a pretty good reputation. Um, But yeah, um, I mean, thousands of people. You're looking at people who want to be selected as the next person going up to space. You've got tens of thousands. The competition is tough. Um, I mean, I can only look on. I'm not really in a position to apply currently, unfortunately. but it'll be, it'll be really interesting to see who was chosen and i think it'd also be pretty interesting to see you know what their training's in doctor engineer scientist
0: it will indeed be interesting to see who ends up there first and i guess that sort of feeds into there was a theoretical posed on another podcast that i think i'll offer to you if you got offered the chance to be the first person on mars uh for however you know you had to go through the training and everything you had to go through the journey but you get offered the chance to be the first person on Mars with only a 50% chance of coming back would you do it?
1: Ooh, see, it's a tough one. Cause on one hand, you get all the kudos. You are the you are the first Martian. <laughs> you, can, you can come back and you can get a cool little shirt with it on. Just and no number one can tell you Martian.
0: otherwise.
1: Number one Martian, you get the little green ears. You just um, walk
0: up to Matt Damon and just
1: <laughs> <laughs> We're bad. There's only room for one of us here. Um, yeah, you get to have that title. Um, but obviously it's very risky um so will i make it back <laughs> um yeah i don't know probably for history's sake your name would be in the history books how cool would that be um yeah i'd probably go you know a uh, bit of a gambling man <laughs> try it out see um uh, because if, if if i do make it back what a sick story is that gonna be i'm going to be the life of the party
0: <laughs> i think it'd be it'd be Insane to think about you could go there and you could step out and you could take that first step out of the shuttle and look and there's just nothing around you it's just uncolonized, it's just dust and space basically what I wonder mm. is if you looked up would there be an atmosphere like there is on earth or would you be able to see just the expanse the blackness the void the stars like you see those photos that they take from the international space station where they've got earth and then just space and stars around it and it's absolutely insane and you've got to wonder not only what that would feel like but how in perspective it would put everything else when you came back you know every other problem is insignificant but i wonder if then you start to have a mild crisis of identity when you get back and you realize you're just this you're just this speck on the surface of the earth and on the surface of the universe
1: Mm, so i think there's actually um i think there's a term for that and it's when astronauts are looking at the earth and then they start thinking oh my god i'm so small um (laughs) as compared to the whole earth um yeah it must have some sort of effect on you because when you get back to earth you're like what shall i do now i've already sort of reached the limits of human expansion uh where we've been i've been at the forefront um and i think it must be weird to be on mars um whether i'd be completely alone i guess you normally go like in the martian with a team however you better believe i'm gonna be shoving my way to be the first one on there <laughs> i like see you jimmy i'm on <laughs> i am on mars and I will, I will be the one to stick the little flag in um <laughs> Yeah, um, it'll be interesting. I guess it depends on the weather, what you see. Um, but, you know, we're hoping for clear skies, for nice, nice views. Although it must be very, yeah, like you say, uh, crisis-inducing when you just look out and there's just blackness, like emptiness. Um, but I don't think there's much time for crisis. You have, to, you have to plant the flag. You have to play a game of golf. Um, <laughs> you have to make all the cool quotes. You have to bring out your first Martian shirt and put that on over your spacesuit. Uh, yeah, there's a whole bunch of things on that list you've got to do. Crisis is at the bottom. <laughs>
0: well, I wonder then, what, what what do you think your first words would be when you got to Mars? Because you can't exactly do one small step for man again. That's That's been there, done that. Neil's got that one under his belt. You'd have to come up with something <laughs> Proper. what do you
1: mean I can't steal it
0: <laughs> one small step for man one giant leap for mankind as said by Loen and also Neil yeah you'd, <laughs> yeah, yeah you'd it's need gonna something gonna be my dif- name
1: first and then his <laughs>
0: you'd need something I think
1: mm. I,
0: feel like, I feel like maybe that's part of the training or part of the application process they just ask you what you say when you get to Mars you have to come up with a belter quote
1: Oh, it's like it's like a shortcut. So even if you're absolutely terrible in all other categories, if you have the best saying, they just immediately promote you to first, <laughs> first on the ship. Um, good question. Um, knowing me, I'd probably have something in mind, and then at the last moment, either get it wrong or just be like, hey, wouldn't it be funny just to change it <laughs> and watch everyone on the control station on Earth just have an absolute like freak out. It's <laughs> just. just- ju- TVs across
0: the world are just there like, and this is it. a Hull taking the first steps onto Mars, onto the new frontier. Ladies and gentlemen, the world is in stunned silence right now, waiting to hear what the first words to be said on Mars are.
1: Woo! Subscribe to my OnlyFans. <laughs> <laughs> that will be it. <laughs> <Yeah>. It's, it's
0: <laughs> fascinating to think about the idea of though who is going to be first and obviously you know the rover at the moment is looking for life on Mars and i wonder the question is when are we going to find life or more likely when is life going to find us <laughs>
1: Uh maybe they've already found us and they're just like, hmm, no, <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Uh, took one look and were like, I'll pass. <laughs> um, well, that's the thing. Whenever we, we think of life on Mars, it's likely like microbial, it's small, it's bacteria. Um, however, there is a very small chance it's a really cool alien that's either gonna like eat us or just look mega sick on t-shirts. Um, <laughs> the, the opportunities are out there is what I'm saying. Uh, and if they do find life on Mars, I think it'll be really interesting to see the effect it has on, say, like the general populace's view of space. I think it'll inspire the next generation to then get more involved with space. Um, I mean, it's competitive enough for places like NASA or ESO or the UK Space Agency. You're going to see that like treble. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it'd be really interesting. And I think knowing that there's life on mars opens up the cooler question is there life in the galaxy is it ga- are we going to ever meet it
0: it's interesting yeah that there could be stuff out there that we don't can't even comprehend right now you know the human search for inspiration for meaning for intelligence really is something that's never gonna stop now that it's started. Now that we've got to the moon, we're gonna have to get to Mars and then we're gonna have to get to the next planet and then conquer is eventually the galaxy and head out into the universe. And it's insane to think that there could be things out there that are already doing that or have already done that, that we're just not even aware of. Heck, for all we know, Mars is gonna, we're gonna land on it and it's gonna be a momentous occasion and it's gonna hatch and Mars is just a giant egg. That's my theory. And NASA, you can come and see me in 10 years about it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, um, like I said before, there's probably aliens out there who don't want to see us. (laughs) Or it could be like, uh, says this Chinese book called uh, The Three-Body Problem, and it's all about aliens who actually come to find us. The only issue is, they want our planet. So it could be a very, you know, um, Independence Day sort of showdown, in which case I think we might be a teeny bit unprepared considering... um, you know when we send people up to the space station or to mars we're not sending them with a gun strap to them so that's strike one <laughs> so um nasa or ESA or the uk space agency if you're listening tim peak needs a gun <laughs> they,
0: they call him Tim spawn peak <laughs> <laughs>
1: max hp absolutely just decimating life on mars if there was life before there's not he
0: arrives <laughs> so there's, there's a there's a tumblr post that's just neil armstrong coming back from space gets out of the shuttle gets a handgun and steps back in <laughs> everyone else neil what are you doing there's aliens
1: <laughs> yeah you never know you never know if they're unfriendly you've got to be prepared with an ak-47 that's just all i'm saying unofficially off the records but also <laughs> on the records because it's on the podcast but like if I'm ever applying for a job at NASA this conversation never happened <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: it's so odd though to think about you're right We could there be intelligent life could it be friendly could it be essentially predatory almost I wonder if Perhaps there's somewhere out there there is a purely altruistic species that's sort of going around fixing the universe and that we just either haven't met it yet, or that it's decided we're too we have too much infighting to be allowed to join the Galactic Federation, which would be a tragic realisation if it were the fact
1: is it not true though it really is it really is as when you guys learn to play nice with each other you can then join the big boy squad um we are the the um uncool younger sibling at the family gathering that is us um (laughs) yeah so until we learn to play nice any aliens are probably gonna stay pretty far away um but i think it's interesting actually looking at humanity's pretty desperate search for life outside of our own. Um, And I think that might point to a bit to about humanity's loneliness. And if we don't, we're looking for extra companionship. And I think that links back to, say, AI and all about how we are trying to create companionship with that. We're trying to create intelligence. If we can't, say, find it um, in the galaxy, Let's just make our own. Uh which can also have pretty bad consequences, I'm thinking.
0: <laughs> it's one of those things of, you know, whether it's out in space or in the dark of your bedroom, the ultimate question is what's worse? Being alone or not? I think that's that's the terrifying question. It's weird to think as well about the fact that we're so set on exploring space and yet so much of the ocean remains unexplored and there's so many creatures that we sort of know about but we haven't been able to isolate like the fact that below a certain depth no creature has a spine because the pressure's too great who who knows what else could be out there and down there that we haven't found yet
1: mm, it's it's funny uh, what you say about the pressure because I, I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of a, a blobfish <laughs> um poor poor uh things I'm gonna swear but you know we don't know who's listening to this it could be timmy five-year-old timmy um <laughs> and if you bring them up to uh, a they just expand that's why everyone looks at them and goes wow it's super ugly no no it's just it's just deep it's just become it's the wrong pressure atmosphere you need to throw it back in the ocean um so i think that also holds quite a big message uh, you're not ugly you're just way too high up
0: <laughs> when i meet the mole people then i understand <laughs> true beauty
1: Beyonce of the mole world you are a 10 among those twos <laughs> yeah um, I do think it's interesting that there's stuff in the oceans that we haven't even beca- begun to fi- find yet um, but yes it could also end disastrously I think I think one of the main things we should draw from this is space, artificial intelligence searching the oceans it could all end badly um, example example Um, Let's see. The Meg. Good film about a really big (laughs) shark. It it truly delivers what it says. It says it's going to be about a big shark. It is about a big shark. (laughs) Yeah,
0: that's that's fair enough. Well, the Meg as an example is an odd one. Certainly Jason Statham is not known for his presence in the scientific field, I don't think. But it's a fascinating thing to think about that all these things they could offer us so much in terms of information but one ultimately what are they going to offer us on a practical standpoint but also when does it end and how badly could it end we we've mentioned ai and the fact that you know there's that theory that if you plug a self-learning ai into the internet One, that's like banned pretty much because of how disastrously it could end. But the idea that a self-learning AI will see its purpose just as to create more of itself and to grow and to learn. And so wipe out all of humanity with toxic gases and then colonize the universe just to get minerals to make more of itself.
1: Yeah, um, I, I what I'd probably do is I'd, I'd liken us to it. I mean, is that not what we're doing? We just expand. Um, we're looking to Mars so we can put more people on Mars. So um, I think if artificial intelligence does that, we can probably give ourselves a little pat on the back as we're being exterminated um, and say, creds to us, we've created something which is exactly like us. <laughs> Spitting image. That um, is...
0: You say about putting people on other planets, that raises, again, another fascinating debate about there's this idea of the genetic aristocracy. I'll recommend a book to everyone, uh, Remaking Eden. It's the only nonfiction book that I've sort of completed and enjoyed. Um, and it's all about sort of genetics and mutations and genetic modification and the future of it and where gene therapy could go, essentially. And one of the ideas in that is this genetic aristocracy of a point reaching a point where the rich people can buy better genes for themselves and so are this supreme race of beings and then anyone else is sort of a drone worker and is genetically designed to be a servant, essentially. And I wonder if one day with the colonisation of Mars eventually if we could have some kind of space aristocracy if all of the 1% decided to live on Earth and sent everyone off to Mars or vice versa if they all went and lived on this new world and left everyone else behind on the dying planet it's odd to think about the fact that it's clear that the space exploration is in part funded by wealth just look at SpaceX like Elon Musk essentially the man who could go to the moon if he wanted to single-handedly has got all of this wealth behind it and could be a terrifying symbol of things to come in terms of monetizing space, especially, you know, you look at like commercial space flights being available. I wonder where the line is drawn and where that line is going to lead us.
1: Yeah, um, (laughs) I think it's definitely one we've got to proceed with care. Um, As you said earlier about space being... Political. We've got to also make sure that it doesn't become completely dominated by who has the most cash. Um, Also going on to would the 1% stay on Earth or would they go to Mars? Uh, It's interesting, but I think my personal theory is what they do is they'd ship all of us off to Mars and then stay on Earth because Earth has perhaps better views. Um, I don't think there's quite the equivalent of, say, Niagara Falls on Mars. A lot of red, a lot of oranges, a lot of yellows but not too much else. Um uh, but yeah.
0: Exactly, the views aren't exactly going to be the most ideal thing, I don't think. Mars isn't exactly known for its lush, diverse flora and fauna like Earth is. But at the same time Earth is a dying planet, so it'll be fascinating to see which one which which planet people gravitate towards if ever that becomes an option, you know? If if imagine if centuries down the line we've colonized the galaxy and you can pick any planet to live on and or it almost if there was even like a sort of hierarchy of which planets were the wealthiest it is like some dystopian novel and I wonder if in the future people are going to look back at us and think that we were the beginning of the end of things or if we were some kind of dystopia ourselves but it will be fascinating to see just where space goes essentially and where where the human pursuit of progress goes after we reach mars are we just going to keep going through the planets or is there going to be some greater goal that we can strive for i wonder what which which do you think you choose as a planet to live on ideally
1: ah uh, see a whole bunch of um good options there there's one of the planets which rains diamonds i think i've heard um <laughs> make a quick buck, maybe die, um, <laughs> maybe however might be worth it. Um, yeah, there's a whole bunch to choose from. What I really wish is I could say, you know, time travel into the future, um, see how it all, it's all gonna play out, and then just come back, and then write a, write a book about it, and it will be very, very accurate, and then at the time, they'll look back and they'll go, how did she know? She's a genius! And I'll just be there, dead, like, Superior, <laughs> very smug. <laughs> um, yeah, sort of Simpsons esque, just knowing everything in advance. Um, and they'll be like, she was so ahead of her time. Uh, we should have listened. Um, but yeah, I, I think it'll be easy, uh, not easy, it'll be interesting to see. Because uh, I think Mars is perhaps the only planet which I think could sustain um, human life on there so i think that's probably we're probably a bit limited to which one which ones we're gonna choose uh choice of two and i would probably choose earth um purely for the fact um well, one we have better views, but also I think we have better food uh, <laughs> cause I think. Better the ingredients, of better
0: pizza, Papa
1: John's. <laughs> <laughs> I am on Earth purely for Papa John's. Don't you ever leave me? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I think if you went to Infiuente Mars, sort of like the Martian, you're kind of stuck to what you can get on there because I don't think you, I don't think. Uber Eats really goes that far.
0: <laughs> it's only Deliberate a matter feet. of time. Only a matter of time. Once they get a SpaceX rocket, that'll be, that'll be it. Do you, <laughs> do you think I wonder then, sort of, it's I'd say more on the AI side of things, but it's still with the pursuit of science. I wonder if, do you think there's going to come a day when humans are obsolete, when humanity... In itself is rendered almost useless. I wonder if we've talked about sort of AI taking over everything, but I wonder if there will come a time when we're living in sort of a, you know, Wally like uh, future where humans are just solely existing for their own leisure and nothing else, and that robots are sort of the only things that really do anything. And I wonder if that's the point we're going to ever reach.
1: Mm, I think if we ever do reach it, it'll be far 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 in the future because currently we've reached a part of a sort of point where we've got AI and it can do really amazing things but we really do need to help it along quite a bit we need to provide it with data that say we've labeled or so training data that we've generated ourselves uh, and we need to figure out how to create the models and it's not really at the point where it can create its own models and its own um say like networks or neural networks from itself so I think we're, we're quite far from it um, should we ever reach a, a Wally type uh, outcome um yeah I don't, I don't know what I'd do with it. I don't know which character in that I'd be probably one of the numerous people just sort of you know wheeled about on the ship <laughs> um but yeah I, I don't think it's one of those things anyone can ever really predict um uh, but people who have better guesses than others, uh, they're always, yeah, they're interesting to read about. So the things they produce, say, like going back to my example about The Simpsons, watching that is so entertaining because they do make very good guesses about what's going to happen. So should I ever look in the future um, and come back with some strangely accurate guesses, (laughs) you'll be sure to know.
0: (laughs) Odd to think that we're the sort of, only species that could create the thing that destroys us ultimately Mm. with ai and with space and i think that is the most terrifying existence to sort of realize the fact that we are so quote unquote we're so intelligent that we could be the things that we could destroy each other we could create something that destroys us we could destroy our own planet and thus destroy us it seems that humanity. It's sort of just going about... It's Our pursuit of progress is also our pursuit of our own end, almost. And that's... I don't know about you, but to me, that's a mildly terrifying thing to think about.
1: Mm, and, but I also think our pursuit of progress is what makes us human. And if we did stop to, say, be pretty content in what we've got already, what would we become? Um, I think we would, it would... We would lose what makes us special. I think it would... Sort of put us on the level of most animals which is just you create conditions in which you can simply survive in you're not learning you're not uh developing yourself for the conditions around you you're simply just existing so i while we are destroying ourselves progress there is also progress being made to make a net zero future so uh never stop progressing humanity <laughs>
0: Well, to be honest, that seems like a perfect place to wrap up with the idea that we are all just looking for a way to be special and to give the little sort of altruistic or the nice point of view. Listeners, for sticking with us this far, you are all very special and you are very much appreciated. I think that's where we'll end this week's episode and it's been fascinating talking about something that's usually a bit more out of my comfort field which is science but it's been brilliant to talk about it loena you've had some brilliant insights for us and indeed you've got an interesting story with your mp3 player and stuff so thank you so much for joining me
1: thank you uh been lovely speaking to you
0: if you want to sort of plug your own instagram or your socials or just give a sign off to everyone uh, feel free
1: <laughs> of course of course um so you can follow me on twitter or instagram at at the hull and it's been lovely speaking to you thank
0: you so listeners things may be bad but it's not always el on earth things do get better humanity continues to progress and find reasons to progress And I think that's the message I can leave you with. Keep looking for your purpose. Keep looking for your interests. Keep looking for a reason to look up to the stars and realize that there's a reason you're around here and a reason you're on Earth and a reason that one day aliens might be discovering you. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope to see you next week. And yeah, this is
1: Elliot. This is Elle on Earth episode two. Thank you very much and goodbye.